Hey friends, welcome to a brand new episode of Shatterproof. I am your host, Todd Callahan, and I want to spend a few moments with you talking about something that we really don't hear about very much in church circles, and that's church trauma or church hurt. But I want to begin with a passage of scripture in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. They're talking to Jesus, all right? Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. I'm using that passage of scripture as an example to discuss and talk about uh, many of these experiences that I believe all of us have gone through. If you've been in church for any um, frame of my, frame of time, uh, you've experienced church hurt. You've experienced church trauma. And part of what we experience in this culture, but often never talk about, is the trauma that we experience in church circles. And I believe that God is a creator, but the enemy is a cloner. And, and what that means is that God creates, the enemy clones. I'm suggesting that the enemy desperately desires to prevent the purpose of anything that God creates, therefore causing a clash of cultures. And, and what, what's, what's amazed me growing up in the, in the church as, as, a, as a PK, as a preacher's kid, um, as, as I've experienced all kinds of, of situations and circumstances, watching my parents go through uh, some, some experiences and things that they've uh, gone through in their ministry years. And, and I remember seeing that hurt, seeing that pain, saying to God as a teenager, God, don't ever, ever call me to full-time ministry because I don't want to deal with people. I don't want the pain. I don't want the hurt. Uh, people are hypocrites. People turn around and stab you in the back. They, they talk about you. They gossip about you. And all the while, you're trying to serve them and equip them and help strengthen them uh, to, you know, in their purpose and in their calling. And what I've understood since that time in my life as, as a teenager, and as I've grown to, um, to, to find healing in that area, to learn to love people uh, in spite of it all, is imperfect people go to imperfect churches because churches are made up of imperfect people. So this, this kind of reality and this thinking that we have that we're going to find a church where we're not hurt, or we're going to find a church that is, is more suitable to uh, my liking, and a church that, that um, uh, I'm not going to feel um, hurt or, or, or disappointed, that you're just not going to find a church like that. And people that get caught up in those circles can never be happy because they're searching for a perfect church that doesn't exist. People not going to church because of hurt is something that we experience all over this culture. And, and what the enemy does is he creates counterfeits that emulate the authenticity of what God originally intended. So if God has told us not to forsake the assembling of the saints together, as is the habit of some, that we are supposed to come together as the people of God and worship, build relationships, strengthen one another, encourage one another, 
the enemy is going to use every tactic possible to get in there and disrupt what God has meant to be used as a fortress to build up the kingdom of God in the earth. And, and if you remember, this is what Paul said when he said, and Satan himself has transformed himself into an angel of light. In other words, Satan doesn't always show up looking like Satan. The devil rarely shows up looking like the devil. So if you go all the way back to Genesis in our, in our first introduction to Satan in the, in, in, in the book of Genesis, the Bible frames that context as a garden where the enemy shows up like a serpent. And looking at this in context, if you're in a garden, a snake doesn't look out of place because the enemy shows up looking like he belongs. Because if the enemy appeared to be an enemy, he would have never gotten Eve's ear. And I can't tell you how many people have been hurt by other people in the church because they've gotten their ear. And then they've been caught up unintentionally in gossip, in rumors, uh, talking about people who were once their friends and now they're talking about them. And because of these relationships that they've built with people that, that uh, have destructive habits, they've now been caught up in that. And now because of those people who they thought they were running with and, they, and, and didn't really see at the beginning those destructive habits, now you've been caught up in it. Now you're gossiping and now you're, 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 you're spreading rumors and all of a sudden there's hurt, not only from the people you're talking about, but the people who you were connected to that were not healthy in their spiritual journey with God. You know, because God wants, you know, God creates, but the enemy clones and he wants to pervert the purpose for what God creates. So if God has intention on the body of Christ coming together as the people of God and strengthening one another, don't you know the enemy is going to get inside, attempt to get inside of what God has destined for greatness and cause problems? I've experienced this my entire life as a preacher's kid. I've seen, I've seen my parents pour into people's hearts, pour into their lives. I'm talking, you know, missing baseball games, missing concerts, um, going through times where we were supposed to be together as a family and um, people had an emergency and, and my parents would drop everything that they were doing to go and be with these people to help them, to strengthen them, encourage them. Now, if you, you know, if you're, if you're um, uh, middle-aged, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old, and, and um, uh, back in the day, there were these things called phone books, and, and some of you may not be, um, have been exposed to a phone book, but a phone book uh, listed your name and, and oftentimes the address of the primary person connected to that number. And before you could call to get your name taken out of the phone book, my parents had their phone number published and our address was listed. So I would be out front catching with my dad, throwing the baseball back and forth with my dad. And someone from the church would drive right up to the, to, to the front of the house, get out of the car and say, Hey, pastor, I was hoping to catch you. Um, you know, uh, I want to talk to you real quick about something that's going on right there in the middle of the time I'm having with my father. And I can't tell you how many times things like that happen. Or we'd be out to eat somewhere, and someone from the church would, would see my parents and stand there and have a 15-minute conversation while my brother and I sat there and ate quietly because someone has taken the, 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 the 15 minutes that, that they were there, that taken that time that we were supposed to have as a family eating and disrupted that moment that we were having as a family. That was my whole life. 
I experienced that my entire life. And I understood as a, as a PK early on that there were many sacrifices you were going to have to make um, because of the, the role and the calling that your parents had. But it was moments like that. It was those 2 a.m. phone calls when people would look up my parents' phone number in the phone book and they would have a dream or they'd have a vision. That'd be two or three o'clock in the morning and the, and the house phone would ring. This is before caller ID. I'm talking, you've got, uh, you know, phones hanging on the wall with those 25 foot um, uh, cords that you could, you know, take around the corner of the, of the kitchen when you wanted to have a private conversation. Uh, and, and I remember those phone ringing in the middle of the night and it wakes up the entire house. And it's someone who wants to share their dream or share their vision and needs an interpretation of it. Like you couldn't wait till morning. You had to disrupt the entire family because you had a dream and you had a vision. So we were grateful when caller ID came out. We were grateful when you could just take your phone off the hook, right? And you remember that and you just leave it off all night. Well, those moments stuck in my mind and in my head. And I remembered all of those experiences growing up. I remembered all of those times that were taken from me. And God had to heal my heart because when God called me into full-time ministry, when he started tugging on my heart, the one thing that I wanted to pull back from was the fact that I had to have relationship with people that at the drop of a hat could turn around and walk out of my life and I'd never see him again. No matter how much I invested into their life, no matter how much I loved on them, no matter, no matter how much I sowed into their life, there could come a moment and there could come a time where they would turn their back on every moment, every hour, every day that I invested in their life and turn around and walk away from me. So no matter how much my kids, I have four kids, no matter how much my kids have sacrificed, how much time I've taken away from my children to sow into somebody's life, I knew in the back of my mind that was always a possibility. So God had to heal me and heal my heart and heal my thinking and heal my mind as it related to how I viewed people when coming into full-time ministry. And he also had to change my perspective from, from, the, from the point of not everybody's like that. Understand that there are people who will run with you for a long time. Someone said to me uh, years ago, people are in your life for three, for three reasons. For three purposes, they serve your life. For a reason, for a season, and for a lifetime. For a reason, for a season, and for a lifetime. And that is so very true. And there's very few people that will run with you for a lifetime. Most people are in your life for a reason and for a season, and that's okay. We just have to understand what kind of category to put those relationships in. A lot of church trauma, a lot of church hurt is built on improper relationship categorizations where we've put people in the wrong categories. When, we, when you put people in the wrong categories, you are going to not receive the kind of outcome you were expecting. Had you put them in the right category, you would have been expecting a certain thing, but you put them in the wrong category. So because you think they failed you, not realizing we put them in the wrong category, we get hurt. So as I began to, to grow as a PK, as I began to, uh, you know, I graduated high school, went to college, um, you know, experienced things at, at Southeastern University, which is a wonderful school, by the, day, by the way, if you're looking for a place to go to get an incredible education in a Christian environment, a strong, powerful environment to support your, your, your purpose, your encouragement, I encourage you to look into Southeastern University. We actually have uh, an online campus. Uh, we, we, are, we are a satellite campus, an extension site of Southeastern University here at Ignite Church. So if you are looking for that kind of education, please reach 
reach out to us uh, at ignitechurchvt.com. Uh, uh, connect with us through the website there. There's all kinds of information there that you can connect with if you're looking forward to taking your education to another level. But all of this church hurt that, that we experience, um, everything that we go through, um, challenges our way of thinking as it relates to our Christian relationships. And I want to encourage you in a thing to remember that when you know the nature of a thing, you won't be surprised by the outcome. When you know the nature of a thing, you will not be surprised by the outcome. In other words, we've got to understand the kind of people who we run with. We've got to understand the circle that we call our, you know, our inner circle or, or the people that we, you know, are our close friends and close family. We've got to know who we're running with. You say, well, well, you know, this is the case in our life and it's the case with God's primary instrument of transformation and influence in the earth. It's the church. It's you and me. Regardless of our feelings about the church, God has chosen the church as the primary instrument of transformation in the earth. The church is the embassy of the kingdom of God. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. He does the thinking, the directing, and, 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 and we hold the authority, and he holds the authority, but the church is the body. So we execute the instructions that we receive from the head. Therefore, we are Jesus's hands and feet in the earth. Guess what? There is no plan B. There is no other uh, dispensation coming where God gives something else to accomplish something in the earth. You and I are it. So all of this church trauma that we've experienced over 20 years or, or 10 years, maybe you're listening and you just had it happen last week to you, and you say, I'm never going back to that church again. I can't stand that person that did this or said this about me. Let me challenge you with Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. How many of us never do that? Because it's so much easier to complain about it. It's so much easier just to turn away and, and, and walk away and run away and say, I'm never going back to that church. I'm never going to deal with this situation. I'm never going to deal with that hurt. And then you carry that into every single church you go and then start saying, there's no church for me. There's no place for me. But if you go back to the root of it, you never dealt with the first person or the second person or the third person that truly hurt you and caused some issues. So I would encourage you, you know, to have those moments with those who've hurt you, those who've caused some pain and caused some trauma, because we're it. We've got to get over that hurt. We've got to get over that pain. There is no perfect church. And so because the enemy is aware of this in his attempt to pervert the purpose of God for the church, he infects and affects the church to the degree that the church does not effectively carry out her assignment. But, you know, because it's God's intention that his church be an instrument for the development and discipleship of his people. I mean, this is what the Great Commission is all about. How are we going to fulfill the Great Commission? I mean, let's, let's be real. I mean, there's people who we just don't like. They don't like you. You don't like them. Uh, you, don't, you, you shouldn't run with people who don't belong in your circle because you are going to find yourself carrying dead weight. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be uh, in, in, in difficult places when you are not running with the people who can support the calling, the purpose, and the mantle that God's given you. But we've all been called to go and preach the gospel. We've all been called to go and, and, and compel people. We've all been called to reach people in our sphere, all across the territory in which God puts us for the kingdom. It's when Jesus experiences an ascension and he leaves instruction. This is what the Great Commission is all about. So if I'm getting ready to leave you, the last thing that I tell you is vital. 
So Jesus is like, I'm just about to take off. And let me tell you what you've got to do. I'm going to commission you. And this is important for us to wrap our head around because if not, we will start imposing our priorities on the church as opposed to Jesus's priorities on the church. I mean, it's gotten to the place over the last 10, 10 years or so where people are more concerned about, you know, what time does the coffee shut down or we've got to get there to get the good donuts rather than lining up to get to church, to make sure, to get the service, to make sure that you get a seat where before worship starts, come on, come on people who get there 30 minutes late. I'm talking to you. You got to get there before service starts so that as soon as the songs begin, as soon as service opens, man, you're there. I mean, you are excited. You're ready. You've already prayed. You've already worshiped. You've had some time before God while you're getting ready on, you know, on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, like, like, like here, we've got Sunday mornings and Wednesday night services. I can't just walk in the building and, and just expect, you know, my whole mind frame to change based on everything that I've, I've done during the day, the conversations I've had during the day. I've got to spend time praying. I've got to spend time worshiping. I've got to have my heart prepared so that as soon as worship starts, man, I'm there. Imagine if we would, if your service time is 10 o'clock, imagine if you showed up by 940, 945 every single week and you were early in your seat versus most people showing up to church 15 minutes to 30 minutes late every single week like you didn't know you were going to church. Come on, let's be real. So if you want to talk about church hurt, pastors get hurt by stuff like that. Pastors get frustrated by that kind of thing. But yet we still love on the people. We're still encouraging them and strengthening them. I've encouraged our church, you know, multiple times, you know, get here on time. You're, you're missing a vital part of this experience and this, this, this moment that, that we've all come together to worship God. You're missing that when you show up at 1030 and then it takes you 15 minutes uh, 20 minutes to actually get in the atmosphere and things begin to change and happen. Our, our worship's finishing up after 45 minutes. I know some churches, they're done worship and the message and ministry and all that in 45 minutes. Man, we just finished worship in about 45, 50 minutes. And then we got a whole nother, another, uh, another 45, 50 minutes, 60 minutes of, of message and ministry. Because I think if we try to box God in, then we're going to miss a lot of things. And, and we're, we're going to... to confine the the heart of God in for the context of of making people feel comfortable so if you want to talk about church trauma pastors have had to go through those experiences where more people are are interested in the length of service the temperature in the room the easy access how close in proximity it is to their home and what kind of donuts and coffee and all this other extracurricular stuff is available for them But Jesus said, I want you to make disciples of all nations, to all of us. So it was God's intention that the church be a place of development, but the enemy wants to pervert its purpose and use it as a place of destruction. I remember when we were putting up lights at our church and and redoing the the auditorium and we were reconfiguring the stage and we were ripping out the carpet and, and, and getting rid of the old chairs and things like that at our church, people would, would email me or come to see me in the office and say, I, I, we just can't come to this church anymore. You can't have lights like this. This just looks like a concert. Or, or you, can't, you can't change the carpet. It's too modern. It's too contemporary. You know, uh, there was nothing wrong with the old carpet. Mind you, the old carpet was green. And the old carpet was extremely old and had gaps in the seams. But we're going to leave that carpet because it fit the mentality of a certain specific generation of people that didn't like change. But let me tell you, we started growing 
dramatically when change began to be implemented. Now you've got some people who are dealing with church trauma now because we painted walls, we changed the stage, we added lights, we changed carpet. Now people are being hurt by the changes that are taking place. Now as a pastor, you listen to those those offenses, you hear those things, and you try to explain the necessary reason for bringing that kind of change and transition uh, inside the church building. Uh, and, and some may understand it and some may not understand it, but I can't stop the progress. I can't stop the momentum because someone gets upset. So for some people, you just get to the place to where you say, listen, this is the direction it's going. These are the changes that, that we're making. And if you can't be here for that, then, you know, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Maybe this just isn't the place for you. Not only does that hurt a pastor's heart, but it hurts the people I'm saying that to. Now they have an offense. And then there are new people coming in, brand new families. The church is filling up. People are excited. And you've got all kinds of different type of experiences happening all at the same time. So understand that, that as opposed to it being a safe place where we can get teaching on how to live a kingdom life, it becomes in some cases a place where some people get traumatized and some people are hurt and some people are disappointed. So, and, and you would think, oh, pastor, how in the world? I mean, that's, that's pretty trivial that people would complain to the point of adding lights or, or putting multimedia in place or changing the carpet or painting the walls. I had people literally cry on me, like schedule a meeting and come in and cry on my wife and I because we covered up the color on the wall. I'm not kidding you. Because we painted a different color on the wall. People were crying. People saying, Pastor, we should have voted on the carpet. Well, we don't vote in this church. That's not the kind of church we are. We, why didn't you give us an option to vote on the carpet? No, we don't do that. But people get traumatized by that. And then they carry that in other places that they go. And that is, and that is trauma that comes from people's religious experiences. A, the color of the carpet, the design of the carpet should have no impact whatsoever on your spiritual experience and the awakening that you are having in a local church service. It just shouldn't have. Well, I don't like that song, Pastor. Are you telling me that you can't worship God based on the style of a song that you like or dislike? Are you that shallow in your journey with, come on, let's, let's be real. We're talking about church trauma where people won't go to church anymore because this certain hymn isn't sung as much anymore. That hymn isn't sung very much anymore. I've had people say, Pastor, why don't we do communion every single week? Why don't you do communion every other week or once a month? And the reason I stopped doing it every single month is because it became a religious exercise for so many people that I felt it was losing its, its the weight of that moment was being lost because people were responding out of religious practice. So I explained that to our church and said, you know, we're going to take a different route here because there are some cycles that have to be broken because there's so many people that are just participating in this out of a religious exercise, out of religious obligation, out of religious routine. 
So as we began to do it more infrequently, it had greater power and, and greater anointing to it because there was, a, there was a weight, there was a heaviness to that moment. But some people have defected from the faith and from the local church, not because of the teaching, but because of the trauma they've gone through or the trauma that they have experienced through changing of leadership or through changing in cycle. But, but understand, some people have walked away also, not because there weren't enough lights in the worship service, but because there was not enough light in the Christians that they were worshiping with. And that's why we've got to begin to break the, that religious dogma and that religious mindset that plagues the body of Christ oftentimes and which stifles the move of God. And, and it's important for us as believers to care about these people. Understand, I'm not, I'm not knocking these people who, who've complained. I'm not knocking people who have you know, brought up care and concern because it's important for us as believers to care about these people because Jesus does. I mean, he tells an entire parable about how a shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one to reveal to us that even the people who have been traumatized by the church are the minority, even though they're minority, the minority of, of the people inside the body of Christ, they're still a priority to God. They're still a priority to God. You don't have to be a majority to be a priority to the father. And I'm grateful I don't have to be in the majority to be a priority. But the reason some of us are, are sane in our mind is because we saw that God had a priority stamp on our life. The reason we have been protected from dangers seen and unseen is because God made you a priority. The reason you, you are where you are today is because he got strategic and meticulous and said, I'm going to order every single one of your steps. And what the devil meant for evil, God says, I'm going to work for good. So understand everybody's in process. And we have to look beyond the religiousness. We have to look be beyond the, the legalistic mindset that some people carry and can't move past the color on a wall or, or the car color and design of a carpet or the, the lights on a stage. And they get into this legalistic mindset that God can't move with all of that. And on the flip side, you and I ought to be able to have an incredible time of worship. God can move inside a barn while you and I are sitting on a hay bale having a time before him. We ought to be able to have the power and the anointing of God fall inside a barn while you're sitting on, the, uh, sitting on a hay bale. That's the kind of God we serve. It doesn't matter what kind, of, what kind of, of room it looks like. What matters is the spirit and the heart from which you are seeking God's, God's release in your life. And when you know God has made you a priority, you know you can't help but give him praise for it. No matter where you are today, right now in your journey, you ought to give God praise for where he has you right now. And I don't know what you're going, what you're, what you're going through, or I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That means those people who you had a problem with last week, you get in there and you praise your way through it. You praise your way through it. You go up to, to, to whoever you have an issue with and you say, hey man, hey sister, I want to sit down and man, let's work through this. We come to church here together. And we can't have anything between us. I don't want anything between us. I want to come in here and know that when I come in here to worship and you come in here to worship, we are focused on one thing and one thing only, and that is the power of God moving in this place. Because that person who has a problem with you, they matter to God. You matter to God. We can't minimize it, but if we don't become intentional about it, we get caught up in all of this external stuff that causes church trauma. And this means we have to have some tough talks with Christians. 
as in this text in John 8, this is what I'm articulating where we, 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 we've seen an example of this truth. The Bible says Jesus is minding his business, teaching in a crowd, and, and they're Jewish scholars and leaders who bring him a woman who's a lawbreaker. So they take the woman from where they found her, bringing her to the temple, put her in front of the crowd just to trap Jesus. They were saying this, the Bible says, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. In other words, this wasn't even about the woman. There was a power struggle against new spiritual leadership and old spiritual leadership. These Jewish leaders felt like they were losing influence to Jesus. And so they're trying to discredit Jesus and people get caught up in the middle of power struggles between Jesus and religious leaders who want to stroke their own ego. Come on, somebody. And so they get hurt because they're caught in the middle between leaders who are more concerned about power and their prestige and their possessions than they are the people. And how many people have been traumatized because they got caught in the middle of the church's mess? Come on. They're just trying to sing. They're just trying to serve. And here they are caught in the middle of the perfection lie that you have to be perfect to serve. Do you know how many, how many people I've heard say, well, I couldn't serve on the worship team or I couldn't be an usher. I couldn't be a, uh, you know, I couldn't work in kids church or be a part of youth ministry um, because of this that they knew about in my life or because of where I work. And so they carry that hurt feeling like they're disqualified based on their activity in the past. And so we preach, don't judge, lest you be judged in the same way that you judge, right? We preach that. But then we turn around and disqualify someone based on their past. You've got denominations who won't even uh, uh, equip people to, to walk in leadership because they've gone through divorce. Don't even care about the situation. Don't care the, the reasoning behind it. You've experienced the divorce. Therefore, you're disqualified from any kind of leadership. We don't care about the reason behind it. And they get hurt. And it's so easy for church leaders to just ignore those who've been hurt. Churches keep on having services, but this text is really interesting because they bring this woman to Jesus and they were trying to trap him. Because if Jesus went against the law, they could accuse him of blasphemy. And that would have been a, a, a spiritual violation. But if he says execute the sentence, it would have been a legal violation because according to John 18, verse 31, only Romans could execute someone, not Jews. So Jesus sensed he was being, being, you know, trapped. So they pull this woman in front of Jesus and she, and you know, she is wrong. We're not minimizing that she was wrong. She had an affair. She was caught in adultery. She was wrong. And I want you to see the difference between Jesus's response to being wrong and the religious response to her being wrong. So we aren't questioning the fact that she was, you know, if she was right or wrong, we, we understand that. And this is one of the reasons we need to park right here for a second, because I want you to see the difference in responses. So they get this woman and probably bring her by force and put her in front of the other, put her, put her in front of a crowd and act as if they are accurately applying scripture. This woman is embarrassed, but she didn't commit this act by herself. Come on, somebody. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 says, if there's a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his wife's friend, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So what you have is people selectively applying scripture saying, this applies to the woman, but it does not apply to the man. And the selective application of scripture always leads to trauma. 
It always leads to church hurt. Then you take man-made doctrine inside of many denominations across the world, and now you've got man-made doctrine sitting on top of, of Scripture that was selectively applied. So we're going to pull this one out because of what they did, but we aren't going to bother the other people. So what Jesus does is he kneels down and he starts drawing in the dirt and doodling in the dirt. Then he says to them, okay, I see you are selectively applying scripture. So let the one of you that is without sin, let you throw the first stone at her. Because not only are you selectively applying scripture, but you're guilty of classism now when it comes to sin. So you want to categorize and put one sin above another. So what Jesus says is, okay, you without sin, you throw the first stone. How many people have come into your church? How many people have walked into your world? And based on what they've done, based on what they look like, in some situations, based on what they even smell like when they first walk into church, they are traumatized by the reaction when they come into a sphere that we have in the subculture of the four walls of a church created an expectation of what people look like, what they sound like. And when someone from, from, from the culture walks in to the subculture of the church, we demonize them because they don't look like us, talk like us, sound like us. How many of you know when you get saved, you don't wake up the next day and every word is now purified. Your thoughts are now made holy. Your lifestyle is now in alignment with everything that God's calling you into. It is a transformation from the inside out. And we've had so many people, so many people in the body of Christ around this nation over from generation to generation that have been judging people, that have been condemning people, who God is doing an incredible work on the inside of their life. And they've experienced church trauma because the body of Christ has not modeled and accurately applied the scripture as we teach. So Jesus tells them, the one of you without sin, go for it, throw the first stone. But before you do, let me bend down and I'm going to draw some things and, and, and write some things in the sand because I know you know that they don't know. So you will, you will throw the rock as long as you don't know they know. But let me start doodling in the dust because I'm going to spell some things out for you and let you know that I know. I know you are disqualified to throw the rock that is in your hand, but because you haven't been caught, you think you're clear. So the Bible says he starts writing, and one by one, what did they do? They started walking away. And I believe that Jesus was writing a list of stuff, list of sins, list of proclivities, a list of iniquities in the dirt. And as he got to theirs, they were like, I gotta go. I'm out of here. I can't do this. Jesus then gets back up and asks the woman, who's here to condemn you? She said, no one. And Jesus says, neither do I go and sin no more. Did he lower the standard? No, he didn't lower the standard, but he models a better way to motivate people to reach it. Understand grace does not lower the standard. Grace is a better motivator for people to actually reach it. And maybe we would not experience trauma in the church at the rate we have been experiencing it in the past, uh, in the past 20 to 30 years if the church would practice grace on those who are just coming into their journey with God. He says, grace, no grace is better, a better motivator for people to reach heaven's standards. Well, pastor, they've been saved for 10 years and they still are acting this way and they're still doing this and they're still involved in that. But you've been saved for 50 years, but you're still struggling with some stuff that you struggled with 50 years ago, but you won't model that against what they're struggling with 10 years down the road because you think that sin is greater than the stuff you struggle with. 
Now, when he says, who's here to condemn you, that's not a cute saying. That's just not something he, a cliche is, a cliche, a cliche he was just throwing out there. When he says, who is here to condemn you, he is operating on a reality out of Deuteronomy um, chapter 19, verse 15, where he says, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. My God, that is a great, great passage of scripture because when he says who is here and she says no one, he says, well, the Bible says this, you can't be convicted of a crime. This is how grace works. This is how Jesus works. He will take the same scripture that people try to use to keep you bound and he will use the same scripture to set you free. The same book that says, don't do it. The same book that said, when sin would abound, grace will, will cover you. Grace covers you. Grace covers you. The same book that says, don't do it is the same book that says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He used the exact same book that the religious people were using to keep people bound. And he turned it and used it to set people free. In, this, in that text, Jesus has to rescue people from his own religion. Get this. That's what is sad about this. He's a Jew, and he has come in and rescued people from his own religious system that he grew up in. Now think about this woman. How do you think she feels about the church now? Does she want to, to go to the next Sabbath? Does she want to go to the next church service? Because those men that did that to her, they're still hanging around. They're still around town. They're still showing up. So now she has to live through the shame of exposure where two people who have no authority or ability to, 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 to remedy, listen, exposure is for the purpose of adjustment. So the exposure to be to those who, who can help make the adjustment, not to bring condemnation. Exposure is for those who can help make an adjustment, not bring condemnation. And these people felt like they were entitled to know what was going on with her. Hello, gossip. That's when gossip shows up. Gossip shows up when there are people who feel entitled to know certain things about other people, and it's not always for the purpose of prayer. So if you are in prayer circles and you find yourself, you know, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? We want to pray. So tell us what happened. Make sure that your intercession and the way in which you are praying for people does not turn into a gossip session and you cover it up with prayer. Because how do you think this woman feels about spiritual leadership now? What's her issue with authority now? What kind of trust issues will she have now? What does she think God thinks about her based on how these religious leaders dealt with her? This woman was probably, if it were not for Jesus, she would have been living in trauma because of the church. So folks, we have to have some tough talks because some of us, you notice I'm not dealing with the specifics of the nature of her sin and gender differences, because this is what I've learned with Christians. When you start doing that, people begin exempting themselves outside of the text. They say, so because I haven't done that, that really doesn't apply or relate to me. But this woman can represent anybody whose private failures in any area have become public knowledge. So for example, it could be a Christian entertainer's private matter that's gone viral on social media. And all of a sudden you repost it. Now you're having all kinds of conversations based on a little bit of information, no context, a little bit of information. And now you're running wild with, you can't believe this person did this or this person did that. It could even be a political figure whose issues now is spread all over the news. It could be spiritual leaders or church issues. This woman represents all of that. 
So what are rocks? Well, rocks are anything that cause anything unnecessary. Rocks are anything that cause anything unnecessary injury to somebody who's already injured. Rocks always cause unnecessary injury to somebody that's always injured. So you may have not thrown rocks, but you tweeted some tweets. You posted some memes. Maybe you've written posts about somebody. That's a rock. And there are different kinds of rocks that we have to deal with as Christians because it's causing trauma in the church. I know it's hard, and we don't like to hear this stuff. We just want to have church and then go home and then throw rocks at the, at the lunch table where we're sitting around with people or at the restaurant. And, and, and we, want to, we want to tell everybody Jesus loves them, but then we want to throw rocks or ignore the people that are dealing with rock wounds. We need to talk about some rocks that have traumatized people in church circles. We've got to deal with legalism. We've got to deal with church hurt. We've got to deal with all of these rocks that the body of Christ has thrown generation after generation after generation, and then we wonder why people don't want to come to service when you invite them. We wonder why people say what they say about in certain circles based on their experiences with Christians, based on their experiences inside of local church. Listen, just like God had to heal my heart. You may be listening right now and you say, I, I'm dealing with the same thing, Pastor. I don't like Christians. I'm, I've been hurt. I've been traumatized. I've, I've, I've gone through some pain. I can tell you from experience right now, God can heal you from that. If you will look through the eyes that he's put in your heart and in your spirit and see the gift of God that sits inside of people, regardless of what they have said to you, regardless of what they've done, understand that they're still gifted. They're still anointed. They're still called by God. There is no perfect church. They don't have to run with you for the rest of your life, but you go to worship together. So when you get in that atmosphere, try not to let the pain and the difficulties that you've experienced and the stuff that you've walked through in, in, in that local worship setting, try not to let that stuff lead you and guide you, but let the Spirit of God that He's put deep within you call you to a place of peace and reconciliation. And I think as the body of Christ, there's a lot of reconciliation that has to be done. We're not, we're, we're not perfect people. We are imperfect people. Therefore, this is an imperfect church. All around this world are imperfect churches. But people aren't going to church because of hurt. They're not going to church because of pain. And it's our responsibility as the people of God to step up and say, you know what? We're going to bring resolution to this. We're going to bring healing to this. These areas of pain, these areas of trauma, God's going to heal it. And I pray that whatever you have experienced in your journey, that God right now is beginning to impress upon your heart the places where there have been hurts, the places where there's voids, the places where there's been pain, that God would touch you in those areas and you would no longer, when you show up to worship, you would no longer be, be focusing on those areas of pain, but maybe there are those who you need to go seek forgiveness from. Remember, forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself so that you can move forward, so that you can begin to step into the brand new things that God has destined for your life and you would not be held back because of things that were not dealt with and things that were not talked about and things that were not worked through. Forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself so that you can move forward into everything God has called you to walk in. So if you've experienced church trauma, you've experienced church hurt, I pray that God bring healing to your heart, healing to your mind so that you can move forward and walk in absolutely everything that he's destined for you to walk in. 
Don't miss this moment. You heard this podcast today for a reason. You heard it with, 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 with what I believe is God's intention to help heal you and take you into a brand new place. So no matter what it is that you've experienced, whether you've been hurt, whether you've done the hurting, or whether you've been around people who have been hurt, and you've experienced a, a subsection of people being hurt, let, let this moment right now bring healing to your heart and life so you will no longer be, be, be traumatized, no longer walk in pain or disappointment. Based on what you've experienced, based on the things that you've heard, may God touch your heart and may God touch your life because I believe that if you can get to a place of healing in your heart and in your spirit from what you've experienced and the pain that you've gone through in church, the pain that you've experienced with people that you've run with for a while, all the disappointments, I believe that if you can work through that and find healing, that God will open up brand new doors for your ministry, for your life, for your calling, for the anointing of God will no longer be held back because of these experiences, because of this wall that has been built in your life. But that wall will come down and you will be free to walk in the the anointing of heaven that he's destined you to carry. I love you. I believe in you. I thank God for your life. And I believe that everything that God is going to do in your heart and in your life is going to come to fruition. So get ready for the greatest move of God in your life that you've ever experience. I love you and I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of Shadowproof.